one year I kind of got an idea, you know, I almost tried trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money in the fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Trappers love game trappers in a positive light. I'm gonna ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. The structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon ads to information, trapping radios. We are trappers and ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. Alright, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because we're working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got variables to change the characters, you got bog trap. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the fur shed, this is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. I just get a kick out of that intro song every time I listen to it. I haven't got tired of it just yet. We are brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cots Bros has a full line of trapping supplies, trap snares, baits, lures, books, DVDs, everything you need to get going on the trap line, and lure making supplies if you're into that too. On X Maps, use your phone as a GPS on the trap line. Use their unique mapping features to look at different layers, scout using the latest aerial imagery, get landowner information, get all kinds of different data on in the area that you're trapping, mark your trap locations, run tracks. Uh, you can do so much with this on xmaps.com and remember to use the code TRAP, T-R-A-P, to get 20% off of your first purchase at onxmaps.com. And Moil Mink and Tanner, you get your fur tanned by the professionals. Uh, I just sent a bunch of fur there. Uh, I am have another shipment that's going to be on the way in a couple of weeks. But uh, Moil is the tannery of choice for the National Trappers Association and for the Trapping Today podcast. They are a family-run company in Idaho. They do an incredible job, very reasonable prices, and preserve that fur for the long term by getting it tanned professionally, whether that's for a wall hanger, whether it is uh, they do taxidermy tanning. Maybe you want to use those tanned furs to make a hat, mitts, uh, other fur items, or just uh, sell them as uh, you know, uh, wall hangers or collectibles for other people. Moyle.net, M-O-Y-L-E.net. Use their online customer portal to get your fur done quicker. Now, tonight's episode. Uh, well, first, what's going on in the fur shed here? I'm actually uh, working fur in the fur shed recently, the past few days. I've been going through and, and pulling uh, Martin, Fisher, and Weasels out of uh, the freezer and beaver pelts out of the freezer and uh, thawing them out a few at a time get the fur shed warmed up and uh, getting in here and skinning in the evenings after work so that's been going pretty good Um, it's it's kind of you know you you can do it during the season if you have time but usually I don't so kind of uh, kind of a little bit of a rush at the end of the season sometimes to get them all processed but 
uh, it's a good time of year to do it. So anyway, it's been it's been good. It's been fun working with the fur and and uh, trying to decide what I'm gonna do with all of the different uh, items. I right now I think that most of my marten uh, are going to go to fur harvesters and uh, and most and all of my fishers are gonna go to moil to get tanned. And I'm probably gonna sell because I. I sold a lot of tan fishery last year, and I don't have any available left. Uh, and uh, I know there's some demand for those, so I'll probably get those tanned and sell them on the Trapping Today store. I do still have Martin pelts for sale. If you guys are interested in getting a Martin pelt, trappingtodaystore.com. Just click on the tan fur section, and you'll find Martin pelts. And I think I have maybe one more coyote and one more fox there, and one otter. So check those out if you're interested. Those are pretty much, I got quite a few Martin left, but the rest of it is pretty much down to the last. So might be uh, your last chance for, for a while to get tan for at least for me. Okay, that's about it. Tonight's episode, though, is an exciting one. We've got part two, the final part of Pat Connolly's interview with Clint Locklear. Pat and Clint go into a few different topics. They talk about lure making and Clint's process for developing lures. They get into trapping out of state and the different states that Clint has trapped in. And they talk uh, they talk about animal damage control trapping, ideas on how to uh, successfully operate an ADC business, and the things to do and the things not to do when you're dealing with landowners um, and and clients, potential clients for your ADC work. And finally, they get into a little more of the uh, human uh, emotion side of being a trapper. It's kind of cool to hear that conversation. Uh, Thanks again uh, to Pat for doing the interview, and thanks, Clint, for agreeing to to come on and, and share a lot of information with us. So with that, let's get into the interview. You're talking about experimenting, and I'm curious about lure making. I've watched your DVD on it, which, by the way, quick shout out on it's Wolfer Nation, right? Where you can get the you could pay and get all of your all of your videos. That's how or most of them. That's howtotrapit.com. Howtotrapit.com. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, it's got everything. Actually, the, the in the only video actually, to be fair, it's it's on my hit list. Don't worry. The only one I haven't watched has been Teachers of the Night, which. I can't wait. That's a, that's on the short list. Maybe after after the holidays and after all the Christmas presents and stuff, maybe there'll be a little, maybe it'll be a birthday present for me or something. Um, but as far as experimenting goes, I'm hoping I can ask you, and I'm I'm not, of course, I'm not asking about the formulas. Obviously, no lure maker in their right mind is going to give out their formulas. What I'd like to pick your brain on, though, more importantly, if What's your process when you make a lure? And so, for example, like, let's say you have a hypothesis about an ingredient. Do you just test that ingredient? Do you start tinkering? Do you start doing that? You know, do you go out and hammer a couple critters with it and then pass it off to some friends and see how they do? What is your, what is your, you know, if you don't mind, delving into, like, how do you you design? I won't get into specific specifics, but... No, no, no. To me, to me... You, you've got to have a base of something for a lure or a bait. And whatever that base is needs to be able to catch a majority of the animals with no additives. 
and then you start stacking stuff on top of it and watching. So, like, if I'm playing with, um, let's say, unicorn hair, you know, just so we don't give away your yeah, formula. <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, just say um, horse meat. Yeah. I mean, that's that's that's. Well, it used it's to be work. fairly common. I'm a, I mean, I still use a lot of it. I don't know who other people. I don't ever ask, but like horse sure. meat. Horse meat's a good base. Just horse meat alone, tainted a certain way, will catch a lot of animals. Well, if you add an ingredient, does that go up or down? Right. If you add that ingredient, it goes up, then you add something else, does it go up or down? So right. the way that I learned to do lures, um, all year round, I put out just test sets. And I mean everywhere. So um, I've got some out on the river, uh, the, the banks of the rivers right now. And then if it was a state park, or because I'm not setting a trap, that's not the purpose. Right, right. So so you're basically making a set. Are you drawing a circle or just imagining or marking this is where the trap would be? And I, then if I, there's a track in there, you got them. Yeah, I, I pick places. It's a little more natural that doesn't have as much ground cover. Mm-hmm. And then I will put in a set with that, but I'll do that repeatedly. And then I'll go back and, you know, are they digging or does it look like they're rolling or is there no interest whatsoever? You know, is there just one track and it's gone or they, does it look like it's coming back? You know, and some of that is just, you don't know for sure, but you just, if you get something that's good, all of a sudden there's a whole lot of activity going on. You have a good beaver lure, that bank's going to be torn up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or a exactly. food lure, they should take your stick. Right. You know, and right. that that's one of my main things. When I go test, you know, because, I mean, I haven't come out with any beaver lures, but beaver buffet, if, you, if the stick's gone, you have a miss. Mm-hmm. If the stick's still there, I guarantee you a beaver didn't come up there because they always mm-hmm. take the stick. Now, is is and if you're making a food lure... And you get some beaver to come up to it, and they're not even going to eat your food lure. Well, you, you got a, a crappy food lure. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you said that in one of your videos. I forget. Uh, I don't remember which one it was. But you said uh, you said that exact thing. You know, that if they're not eating it, then what, what are you doing? You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> it was more eloquent than that. As it's speaking of which, I will t- I will tell everyone um, my favorite lure you make. You want to get? Do you want to guess what my favorite beaver lure you make is? Delta Red. Close. Enrager. Closer. Enrager Two. Enrager Two is my favorite. Is my favorite beaver lure across the board. I have caught more fur on that thing. I have. I've had problem beavers where it's like starting to ice up, and I got to wrap this up, and I know there's a lone bachelor in there. What kudos to you, sir. That is, it's they just come unhinged for it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I'm, I'm blown away by that. Um, that's interesting with the trials. Do you, do you set trials in places you're going to trap, or do you set them, you do you set them somewhere like, for example, if there's a, a preserve or something where technically you're not allowed to trap? So you're not going to educate any animals or anything like that. Well, when I was in Dunlap, I just had, I would talk to certain farmers. Of course, and I had a small farm, and then um, I would tell them what I was doing, 
and there's there's no way I can catch a dog or a cat. There's no traps being used. I'm just trying to learn something. And most people are like, sure, go ahead. Yeah, probably look at you a little funny. Yeah, I mean it's kind of weird, but you know, but you're not hurting anything. I mean, and I know, and I knew most of them. And then, and then sure, there was a sure. lot of uh, state land just south of me, so I would just, I'd just make a small loop, so like ten miles, and I'd put out fifteen or twenty sets, and then like every five days, I just go look at them. Because there's things with lures you need to know. Like if all activity quits after five days, well, then you you then mess something up. Or your lure doesn't have that staying power. Exactly. Reserve, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I, I do, you know, what I especially enjoy, and I keep going back to your DVDs, they're some of my favorite watches. The lure and bait shop one is, is really incredible. And it's just, I've watched that three, four times now, at least, all, all of them, you know. And there's there's a lot of info in there mm. and it's it's just what i like is that you talk to some lure makers and you'd think that they're making they're making magic potions you know what i mean i like the um there's there's a science to it like there what, is. what you're doing is you're, you're doing the scientific method mm-hmm. you have a hypothesis you're testing your hypothesis you're seeing if you can replicate it so on and so forth you're trying to find a result and so on you're proving your or disproving your hypothesis you know does x work for the x you know like so i find that i like i like your approach in that you're doing it in a scientific method you know it's not like there's not like oh and then we gotta hold this over the cauldron and put a couple mouse bones in there mm-hmm. or what you know whatever <laughs> so which i think i think is a problem with some of the some of the lure makers out there there's there's a there's a there's an over uh what's the word i'm looking for like it an over magicification is not the word i'm looking for uh, i apologize to all you listening you know there's there's a there's like a too woo wooey approach mm-hmm. to lure making and then there's a too like i had a, a buddy of mine who makes lures who said why would you buy a coon lure what do you mean just you don't need to buy a coon lure you know, there's, there's like two ends of the spectrum. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I mean, uh, on, on something like coon, that that's one of those that I've always been amazed at. Yeah, you, well, like you like you were saying, as far as looking at them more like coons, because if you get a tough coon, you know, I have buddies that do structural wildlife, and if you think coons are easy to catch, well. Try one that's been hazed a little bit and maybe been stung before, you know? Well, I mean, you think, well, everybody knows everybody that's got a coon coming up, getting their garbage or messing with their chicken, so they get a cage trap and they throw a honey bun in the back. They catch a coon and then they go, well, that's all you need to do. Okay, big boy, go catch a thousand. (laughs) You you know, that's that's kind of, it's ridiculous. I'm sure you could probably catch a handful of coyotes over a year if you just use dog food. I yeah. have no I have no doubts about that, whatever. Yeah, but go catch a hundred. That's right. that's where the difference is that a lot of people they 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 don't quite understand what that means. Um like um like cat collector for, for bobcats. Mm-hmm. That lasts at a set in the desert for over 40 days. Yeah. You can't do that. And you can, and, 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 
and you can smell it. Yes, and, and you, you, you can smell it. That, 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 a, a human nose, which is nowhere near, right. you know, an animal's nose, exactly. Yeah, and and you know that. And whatever someone wants to do, I mean, I've heard the craziest things about what people use to catch a few animals, but good grief. I mean, there's, there's stuff out there and not just mine, but it, it's hand, it's, it's like, um, you want to go shoot a thousand yard range. I'm sure if you pulled the trigger enough with a 22 long rifle, you'll hit the target. Right. But wouldn't you, you be better probably, off with a three thirty eight Lapua with a night force scope and you can just do it in one? Right. And and you could probably you could probably go to Walmart and buy some of that white box Winchester and you could probably hit pretty far. Yeah. Every once in a while. But if you have a custom load that's hand loaded, that's measured out and we know it's gonna do this, the bullet drop's gonna be this and yeah. You know, exactly. Um do you wanna talk um trapping as a business for a little bit sure so what i think this is going to kind of tie into what we were talking about with like the cinematography side of things i i've personally you know had success and again i'm incredibly green as a as a trapper you know but where i've thrived is just having a certain amount i i try and again, I love trappers. They're my people. I don't mean this is any disrespect to anyone out there. But by not always presenting myself as a trapper, like a trapper, mm-hmm. I've had it incredible success. And I feel like the way you do business, and I've heard you talk about it even on your podcast, you know, about the things that you do when you're meeting with high end clients and stuff like that. You know, do you have some, do you have some business tips? Um, Maybe for somebody, you know, this is, um, I'm on year three of doing predominantly beaver control full time. Um, you know, do you have, do you have some advice for someone like myself or for maybe some other people out there that are maybe, maybe they're doing, you know, fur bear control. Maybe they're doing, and, uh, there's enough resources out there for structural. I love the structural guys. I have good friends that do it, but maybe more for, you know, beaver or predator control or stuff like that. Do you have any like tips or, or the, the, takes or things that, that you would like to impart? The, the biggest thing that wealthy people, which were my clients can pick up on in a heartbeat that people that are not wealthy thinks they're smarter than the wealthy people. And they try to feed them a bunch of BS and they do a lot of bragging and chest beating and stuff like that. You want to turn off a landowner? That's the first way to do it. Definitely. Bragging is, is not what you do. If, if you're going to talk to a client, you've got to figure out what his problem is and how you're going to be the solution for his problem. It has nothing to do with you, mm-hmm. but everybody I- thinks that it's about them because they're the trapper and that's that's the wrong way to go about it right i'm the trapper that's that's what makes you know oh my neighbor's got a cousin down the road that traps and he's gonna come Mm -hmm. mess around here for a while you know that's that's the uh, yeah yeah and that's you you build a reputation and it depends on who you're talking to um like in the southeast if i'm talking to qdma landowners Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I make sure that I'm way more clean shaven than normal. Um, if I know they're uh, in Alabama, I'm wearing an Alabama hat. 
even though it makes me sick to my stomach because I'm a UT fan? Well, I don't know if I could go that far. I would never wear a Yankees hat, no matter how. <laughs> well, I, I mean, but, yeah, I, you know, I think what you're trying to sum up is uh, when I was, I've, I've actually done a good amount of sales um, just because they'll, they'll hire anybody usually. Uh, what I've, what was summed up best to me from one of my sales managers was, he goes, look at me. You eat beans, I eat beans. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. You know what I mean? Like, you like this, well, I like that too. And that's you, that's your hit because people look for that camaraderie, that, that understanding, you know. Yeah, well, you, you want to look and sound like the person you're talked to or you're the other. You know, right. Q, uh, uh, the Southern Plantation QDMA guy owns three or four businesses, uh, you know, he goes hunting because he likes it. He's got plenty of money. You've got to talk like him and look like him. If you're talking to a farmer and you show up with khaki pants on or whatever, he's going to look at you funny because he's wearing overalls in Tennessee. Or, and he's going to laugh you off the property. Yeah, because now <laughs> you're, you're kind of strange. In Texas, what I learned, I went as far as taking my Dodge truck and I rhino lined the thing. I had a friend build a custom uh, front rack and lights up top, and I had all these custom boxes. And when I rolled up on one of those ranches down there, and all they want to do is kill everything. They want you to kill everything but deer or quail if that's what they're doing. Right. When, when I get out of the truck, they see I'm carrying a forty-five. They see the AR and the shotgun sticking up in the, the rest in the thing. There's blood maggots rolling out the back of the truck bed when I hit the brakes. Yeah, you're, I, a harbinger, you're a harbinger of death. Yeah, that, that, for them, if I tried that in, um, say, South Carolina, they're calling the cops. <laughs> try, try it in the Northeast. Well, yeah, exactly. They're gonna, yeah, they're gonna have a family meeting about it. Yeah, I mean, they're gonna be. Yeah, I mean, but it. So whatever they're looking for is what you need to be to fix their problem. But it's it is their problem, and a lot of trappers. Like I had a guy that wanted to get O'Gorman dogs and take them to these ranches, and I'm like, dude, they don't allow dogs on the property. He goes, they will if they want me. Of course, you know how many jobs he got? Zero. Because he thought the, the Dorn dogs there. Yeah, he thought he could because yeah. he was so important of a trapper that he could do. They would bow to his will. Well, no, the dude's going to go get on his jet and leave. He's not going to talk right. to you. So and you know, it's a fine line. It's a fine line too because I think what I've had trouble with that I've actually had to work on is being able to stand up to clients and be like, "Listen, I know you're worried there's a beaver. They're not." currently doing any damage if we could just wait till fall or if we could just wait till spring i promise you you're going to be a lot happier with the results because mm-hmm. i'm going to be able to clean out that whole colony you know so it's a it's a give and take you have to be the professional but if you educate the client you know that's the thing but they don't they don't need you right you know, they'll no, find they'll no. find they'll find somebody they and there's things you learn if you're going to be good at this is you have to be able to communicate what something is you know, um, if why, cause it, like when, when I'm talking to someone in Texas and they literally just get off of their private jet on their private runway and we're sitting in their drug dealer looking house in the middle of the desert, 
the, the what names, comes, names have been changed to protect the guilty. No, no, none of them were, I don't think any of them, no. but that's what they look like. I mean, you know, no, I know, I know, I'm just messing with you. And they, what comes out of their mouth is not what a trapper thinks is going to come out of their mouth. They're like, right. how are you going to save me money? Why would I pay you? What is the cost of me not having a trapper versus the cost of having a trapper? And you've got to walk them down. I mean, it got to the point where how many feeders do you have? How many pictures of raccoons are you seeing on average on your feeders? Well, this is what an average coon eats. You've got so many. This is so much. You have so many feeders. This is costing you. Sometime the ranch would be losing $70,000 a year to coon. Wow. And, and the guy that's the business guy, that's now something he can compute and put on a spreadsheet and go, this is, so you're going to charge me seven and I'm going to, and right. I'm going to save 70. Well, that's a no brainer. Right. It's, right. We it's, look at, look at our food costs or our, our feeder costs last year versus this year. Yeah. What's the difference? We had the trapper, you're the variable that changed it. That's, yeah. yeah. And, and you learn to talk, to speak their, the, the way they understand. And if they go, well, there's no way then I'd go, okay, I'll make a deal with you. I won't charge you anything. But you got to write me a check for half of what you save, and they'll look at you and go, "That'd be thirty-five thousand." I'm like, "Yeah, but it didn't cost you anything up front. What do you got to lose?" Well, no, no <laughs> same person is going to do that because they can hire you for seven. That's funny. I was watching somebody else's video. They were talking about. They told him, I think he was doing a per animal sort of deal. They said, "Ah, it's way too much." And he's like, or, or you know, he did a, a weekly like a, a charge for a week mm-hmm. and the guy goes that's way too much he goes all right we'll do this per animal i said all right and i think it was like day three he was like two or three times this weekly and the guy was like can we go back can we change it well i i, I always get I, most of the time on new clients i give them that option i go look um i charge so much a week if you're if you're if you're not sure and i can understand why they're not sure because most of them will give really crappy snares to a ranch hand that doesn't know how to set them and they catch like two coyotes a month. Sure. So they don't have a, a understanding of what this is. So what I'll normally tell them... Their baseline I, is skewed. Yes. Yeah. So I'll go, this is what I charge or I can do it per animal and I'll go as low as $50 a coyote, $40 a cat, and $10 a raccoon. And I will give you the option for the first 14 days to go back to my weekly rate. Now, and, and I do that because I won't return, you know, like we, we first time me and Scott went to Lamondera, we had one day of 28 coyotes, 14 bobcats, and like 30 raccoons. Well, can you imagine getting that bill? Yeah, that one's going to sting a little bit. And we, and that was not, I mean, in a, that was our best day, but I mean, there was a lot of days we're averaging 10, 12 coyotes, five or six cats, 15 raccoons per animal right. basis. And, you know, in a, a, learning how to talk, one of the ranches, he kept, he only wanted to hire us for cats and coyotes. And we weren't charging him what we charged other people because they had so many bobcats. And at that time, because it's about money, it's not about right. it's about how much you make at the end, not about how much you can say you charged. Right. And if fur is if fur is up, 
Yes. You, honest, honestly, in some instances, you might do it for nothing. Right. Absolutely. And then, but he was like, I really want your guys to concentrate on Coon. And I went, okay. I said, but here's, here's the issue I'm running into. The only way they're really making money on your ranch is if they catch cats. Coyotes are not worth anything, but, you know, we're running the fence, so it's not that big a deal. But if we have to start targeting coon, you're asking them to spend a majority of their time working for free. They don't want to work for free like you don't want to work for free. So I said, how about we just do a $10 bounty per coon? So if, mm-hmm. if they catch ten dollars, that's a you know ten coons, a hundred dollars, or four coon a day over thirty days, you'll have so many coon. And when he thought about it, he was like, "Sure." Well, actually, what that meant for us was like an extra, I think it was three or four thousand dollars to split at the end of it. He right. was happy. We were happy. You that's know, real money. It's, yeah. it's and, real- and the best thing too in business, if you can find agreements that are mutually beneficial, everybody wins. That really. You know, they're happy, you're happy, everybody everybody goes home happy, you know. And, and that's the way it should be. I mean, you're the problem solver, not the take advantage of person. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. That's good stuff. That's I'm going to have to re-listen to this and unpack a lot of that. Um, I want to talk to you because I feel like I've... I'm going to dub you the unofficial main historian on Wolfers. And I don't know if that's a title that you've ever received before. It's very prestigious. You're very welcome. (laughs) I hope you accept. I I don't know about (laughs) that one, man. Listen, I have one of my things. There's there's been I'm a very I haven't listened to every one of your podcasts, but I'm pretty damn close. You know, there's a lot of content out there, but I've Whenever you do an episode on the Wolfers, I just, I just, oh, when you're talking about the Wolfers, that, that's something that makes my blood boil. Um, talk to me about the Wolfers. Who were they? Was there a golden age of Wolfers? You know, and, and also I want to pick your brain on where did you learn all this? Cause you have, you have some, some knowledge, the way they were, the way they set things, the way things, just just the way they navigated trapping mm-hmm. that's just it's just awe-inspiring can you can you elaborate on any of that well i would say the age of wolfers were probably between 1920 and 1950 okay. uh, probably some of the 60s and it was just a different breed of person those guys were kind of like if you've ever been to like greece You've got guys that get in the cart with the sheep and they live with them until they come back in the spring on the green pasture. That, okay. That's how a lot of these guys lived. Right. They're like not even, not even necessarily like 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 uh, what are those the the tents with the walls and the stove and stuff. They're 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 living off the land. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. I mean, that, they, they would sleep in the back of the truck. Uh, some of them have tents. Some of them would actually pull like a little camper. Uh, uh, Applegate from Texas that does all the line trapping, he's like that today. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's the closest thing to what that style is today that I know of. Who's that? I don't, I'm not familiar. Bill Applegate. He's out of uh, Big Bend, Texas. 
He, he's probably the premier mountain lion trapper in the country. Wow. And that's what he does. He pulls a little camper, and he don't come home till the job's done. And if you ever see him, he's he's he looks like he's having a heart attack because he's so sunburnt. I don't know how his skin's still there. I mean, that's just the life that he lives. Right. It's like leather. Yeah, but red. Yeah. Because he's in it all the time. Right. Right. And um, oh, you know, going. You know, I hate to say it again, but oh, Gorman started talking about uh, uh, Hopkins and um, George Good. And he would bring up uh, Mast and and um, what's the guy out of California? Um, just different people, and then I would just start doing research where I could find it. Now Hopkins, what's um, what is that? Is I assume it's his last name. It is. Uh, he he was a, a coyote guy that trapped. If I remember right, he was in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think he came down to the Red Desert of Wyoming. And and he would do stuff like uh, waxing snares and, you know, using long springs and figuring out how to, to hold them. But what, they were super simple. Like some of these guys would have like a, a milk can on the side of the truck that they would just keep adding glands and urine, which you couldn't sell that because the bacteria level probably blow a bottle in half in 30 seconds. But they used it like a gas pump. So they would make their sets on the side of the road, that little hose that would come down from it, and they would squirt urine on bushes and just put a trap in there. And and over time, they started using lure when they started, uh, that started becoming more popular. Wow. But it, yeah, it's no, just I, a totally different, um, and it was it was simple stuff compared to today, but it's stuff that still works today that people don't do it because it's not complicated enough. Right, and that's not good businesses for you as a lure maker. But in well, all honesty, you know some of those so some of those like buried bait sets and and you know stuff like that, you know, just trail set and stuff like you know like putting a carcass on a trap, stuff like that. You mm-hmm. talked about before doing uh, having a gorman tell you things like that. Well, I mean, it, it's stuff like you read books that were written in the 70s and you find a dead cow at a tank and you like you put a, a trap at, a, you know, like at a foot with some lure and one at its butthole. And, you know, you got three or four around this. We've all seen those pictures. Mm-hmm. A wolfer's not going to set that. He's going to set his traps on every trail coming into that three, 300 feet, 500 feet away. And when he comes back, he's going to have five, six, seven coyotes bouncing around everywhere. And is it because they knew the animals just because, you know, there's a, there's a, I think, I think there's a movement to get back to it. But as a society, we've moved further and further. We're, we're three or four generations removed from the land. We don't see these animals. You know, you're not going out to do chores in the morning on the family farm. Right. And seeing a coyote and seeing how he works a fence line and seeing how he does these things. Where these guys, these are rural people. These are people that lived off the land. That's how they made their money. That's how they survived. It's a, it's a different, it's a different girl. You know, you, and right. I think you mentioned it before that we could elaborate on the, the thing that sets top trappers apart from the pack is just that extra, just, Oomph, that go out and get it and just 
refuse to quit and refuse to fail. Mm. Yeah, and you know the difference is like trappers now will find a, a, a location. Well, the, mm-hmm. when you read, when you look at some of the old stuff like Clever Coyote and the, you know books like that, they would they would track them down to know where their home was, right? To where they were going through certain gaps in the ridges, and then they would make a plan from that. You know, we now it's. What I kind of feel like today, with a lot of the the very uh, regimented, everybody wants to have their own set, you know, their own call it a name or whatever. It's kind of like we're not like the granddad that could go smoking with a plaid shirt and sit on the ground and kill a deer. Right. We got to have the new Cabela clothes with the new rifle and the new scope with the new cover sense and the best tree stands with the you know. And, and it's all about the gear, and it's all about stuff. It's like uh, it's like it's like you're making modern art, and and there's you know some people like modern art. That's fine, but there's there's a difference between somebody that can paint that it looks like a like mm-hmm. a picture. Yeah. They have the whole they have the whole picture. They have everything. Whereas you're like, oh, that kind of is visually interesting. Oh, I guess that's kind of cool. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know if that's a, that's not a, that's maybe not a great analogy, but well, it, it's see how can I? It's it's like we've we've tried to I'm not sure mechanized is the right word, but we tried to take coyote trapping for an example into like it's a machine, you know, like what we do is like the gears moving, and then the animal's just going to get caught. Right, and and you've talked about this on your podcast about. Are you trapping or are you making sets? Right. And I've, I, I personally, I personally, that, that hit real close to home because I've had times like my first, so this is technically day, day 13 of land trapping. I did a little bit last year. I had a friend of a friend that had some issues and I realized I was making sets. I wasn't kind of trapping. I was, this looks like a set. This looks like, and you can have some success making sets if mm-hmm. it's like if you actually are, just happen to be thick with them. Any animal, if you're thick with them, and you make a set on somewhere that looks like a set, well, yeah, you're going to get something for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the, 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 the that's I think where a lot of guys that are more experienced than I, they start to they start to log those sorts of places. They're like, okay. I got a beaver swamp. I got some real thick stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna venture a guess that there's bobcats in here. I haven't cut a track. I haven't seen scat. I, but I just, I have a feeling, mm-hmm. you know, that there's bobcats. But to someone who's more green, they don't necessarily have all the information, and they're just saying, "Well, this looks like a bobcat set. Let me do this. Let me throw some feathers around, and they should all come, come screaming into here to get caught." Well, it, it, it's kind of like, I, I wish there was a way that I could show and film over time. Like when I go like up to Jeff's and run run traps with Jeff Dunlap, if I go early, we set more of a traditional style, you know, farm edges, stuff like that. The first snow that starts getting thick, he totally changes his whole cow line. And when there's ice, he totally changes his whole cow line. It's, but most people would be stuck on the crossroads and the fence corner and the rock. Keep pile. hammering, 
keep hammering, keep checking empty traps. Okay, we got one today. All right. But good. but he <laughs> but he's learned the the couch from from watching tracks in the you know up there. He's been there forever. He knows mm-hmm. early, middle, and late. There's three different games going on. Right, and that's and that's something that you can only get. I mean, that is one one huge benefit I've personally experienced from kind of getting thrown into beaver control. And I, I literally was just trying to buy some more traps when I first started doing it. And the next thing you know, there just was a, a void in the market. Mm. But you learn real quick. These animals change. You yes, know? they do. I mean, I, and I hate, I hate to, you know, keep keep quoting your stuff, but everybody really should do themselves. It's it's a disservice if you haven't seen Clint's videos. They're truly, truly incredible. And the amount of, of just knowledge that's that's in them they're worth two three four five watches at least each you know they're they're really incredible you know you talk about in one of your uh, professional beaver control i believe it was you know you think you're gonna do summer beaver control and you think you're gonna do all these sets that you hammer them all year long during trapping <laughs> season but you're doing summer beaver control you're in for a rude awakening and man that I I might as well get that as a tattoo on my back. Like that's the, it, it's it's nothing. It just it just speaks to your your tenure as a trapper and your knowledge and stuff. It it really is. So that's incredible to think about too. Like knowing the animals, knowing the biology, we know this time of year they're doing that. This time of year they're going to transition to this, and this is the in between time. It's it is almost like you know I have friends that that uh i i joke they they fetishize whitetails too much and stuff you know they got names for them and cameras and all that i can't get excited about that i'm a meat hunter but it's it's a similar thing you have to have that knowledge of the critters to be able to really hammer on them Mm -hmm. you do i mean i mean it's not just a lot of times it's regional, and I'm going to be very loose on what I'm getting ready to say because I don't want anybody to think I'm talking about them or try to figure out who I'm talking about. But several years ago, there was a really big-name beaver trapper from up north that came south. And he has never got the the overall knowledge to understand the difference between warmer weather, summer, I mean, uh winter trapping here and where he was at are the way beaver reacted to caster different from here than where he was at and the whole time he refused to change what he's caught thousands of beaver on up north when he came south and he he really got humbled and embarrassed do you do you want to i i i'm not trying do you want to elaborate on that what 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 have you personally noticed is different because i've only i've only trapped in new england I've trapped three states in New England for beaver, and a few other things here and there. But what is what is the difference between chasing southern beavers? Because I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you, it's it's a it's a selfish question because I have a I have some family. Um, it's my fiance's family down in uh, the Carolinas and Virginia and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I've been doing a little dreaming and scheming, staying up late with the calculator and whatnot. <laughs> but well, it's what. What would you, what would you, is there a way you can kind of, you know, sum up what, what the difference is between northern trap? Because you've, you've trapped, what, 20 some odd states at least, 20, if not more? 24, I think. Okay. I wasn't far off. No. Um, 
What's the uh, well? You know, what's the, like a big difference between northern beaver and southern beaver? You can make a caster mound twenty foot up a bank. Say in and I and I played around with this in an experiment when I trapped in Michigan back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. I could pull a beaver straight up a freaking almost cliffed bridge embutment twenty thirty feet out of the water and catch it. Yeah, isn't it cool? You, 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 you try that in the south, and, and you're going, there's no beaver here. If the water drops five feet and your caster mound was on the edge, a lot of times you're, you're, you're out of luck. Wow. They don't. So it's, almost, it's almost more like, more like coyote tribe. I, so we have some snow up here where I'm trapping. Um, and um, I, I literally, I had some some good lures some of yours and stuff and just the wind wasn't right and i had coyotes walk you know 10 10 feet from the set mm-hmm. so it's like it's almost like coyote trapping you're saying well they just don't respond to caster with the pure aggression and energy as they do up north mm. it's it's a totally different thing if you come down here and try to just put 330s in front of caster you'll catch some beaver but you're not it's not going to be that impressive what about dam breaks? Do they respond to those as aggressively or no? Is it more like summer beaver? Because I found, personally, if you're doing summer control, sometimes the best thing you could do is pull traps and come back later. Right. Because literally, in the summer up here, you could drop the water to it wouldn't even cover your toes, and they're not even gonna they're not even gonna wink an eye at it. They don't care. They'll they'll live it. They'll they'll sit in their hut like fat pigs and eat aquatic vegetation and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff and and they, they don't need to but you come come fall start getting some cold temps well now that's their lifeline their water is their, mm-hmm. their life and they need it well, you know well like where i'm at if if you get a quarter inch of ice on a pond you might as well just not check your traps yeah. a beaver a beaver comes out and knocks his head on top of water and he's gonna go this is wrong and he just goes back <laughs> home you know, it's it's not gonna he's he's not gonna do anything. Right. And you you end up in the south having to be actually um, more like an otter trapper than you are a northern beaver trapper because the the way they react to lure. There's a lot more oh, blind setting. Uh, there's uh, crossovers, not and as stuff showy. Like that. Yeah, it, different mm-hmm. stuff like that. You end up doing way more than that than you do plastering caster mounds around everywhere you'll catch them don't get me wrong but it's just not going to be as much interesting huh that's incredible all right i'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit top five either top five states you've been to or top five states for trapping or fur trapping whatever what, what have you what's your what's your what's your top five if you're an aspiring state hopper, longliner, etc., what is your you gotta hit these five states? Uh, number one would be Louisiana because of the otter. Uh, no, just it's it's an ex- it, you're in a different world. You're in a totally different world that you just need to experience. It's nothing like anywhere else. Um, Texas, if you're into to land trapping, Texas. I would say New Mexico, but they—that's all got screwed up. Um, North Carolina is really cool out towards the coast. No kidding. 
Yeah. Uh, you start getting towards the brackish water, it, it gets really interesting. How so? Um, you've got to deal with tide, which is something that's very different for someone like me. And um, the animals seem to travel a whole lot more there where there's, where there's tide than, than they seem to do most other southern places. They move oh. around a lot more. Like, like here, a beaver will just keep reproducing and making babies in the same spot until someone kills them. There, they they seem to just move around a lot. Huh? They're more they're more like transient. They seem to be, yeah. Hmm. It's almost like um, you mentioned beaver blitzkrieg, and I've personally noticed that if you have any sort of big water or even any any beaver flowages that are closer to big water, they're a little more. You know, a little more transient, or like, um, you know, like, like uh, I think it was last year. Last year I had a wicked drought up here, and it seemed like all the beavers went to the big water because all the little flowages went down to nothing. Mm-hmm. And they, I don't know, they had a ceasefire or something. They weren't, they weren't beating the snot out of each other. And then this year has been busier than ever before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would. I mean, I really like trapping in Mississippi and Arkansas and Louisiana, Mississippi and Arkansas all have a tremendous amount of fur. Right. Like probably five times what I have here. Huh. And, it, and, and despite the, and this is, we'll get into this later, but the, uh, the prices it's, I mean, Fur trapping's rough right now. Were you were you control trapping down there? Were you fur trapping down there? Or? A mixture. I, I was getting okay. paid for beaver tails, but I was also anything else went. Sure. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So, is that five? That's... I think so. Okay. I mean, everywhere's got its its cool. You know, there's there's interesting stuff right. everywhere. Right. You. Uh, was it you that said, I forget who said it, but you move a hundred miles and you got to relearn how to trap. Well, some, you know, sometimes, pretty much. sometimes so, you do. Yeah. Which that, that's, that's exciting. If you're like, all right, I got to do this. It's like starting over. It's that first, that first animal where I think, you know, in, and I mean this in the best way, but trappers are, are almost like drug addicts. You know, the first time you connect. You know, my first beaver, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I'll say it. I, it took me about a week and a half to catch that first beaver. And I was getting traps sprung. Granted, I was using cages, and I was using antiquated cages that had been heavily modified and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, I don't know. You know what a Bailey's trap is? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that, that that first critter, that first, uh, you know, the the... The hundredth beaver doesn't quite feel the same. Well, the hundredth is pretty good, but you know the hundredth isn't quite the same as the first one. You know, it, it's it's something I struggle with. I don't know if I don't know if I, this is probably a good question for you, but I I personally, it's I really try to not get jaded. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because again. We're taking an animal's life. Mm-hmm. You want to show respect to that animal, want to do as you can. But when, you know, you got half a dozen, a dozen beavers in the back of the truck, it's just chuck another one back there. You're just, you know, stacking like corn, 
do you, do you, I, I'm not even sure this is a question, but this is something I, I struggle with that I, I want to, I mean, all, all the fur bears are incredible survivors, tough, amazing critters. You know, do you, do you struggle with that at all? Do you have yourself find it? Do, do you ever get, you know, do you have to have moments where you're like, Oh, Hey, no, this is still, this is still something cathartic. And this mm-hmm. is still something that's, that's, you know, every now and then I, I, I get these moments where it's like, I got to remember that this is a, this is a special thing that I'm doing. And it's a special thing. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. Thank God that we're able to do, you well, know, well, like, as, it, you, as you get older, that's, you're going to realize that more and more. Really? Like, I'll be honest. I've, I've heard, I actually, I've heard that. Yeah. I would, I would have more of a thrill watching a coyote or a cat or a coon work a set and watch the whole thing than I would catching the animal. You know, like if I go deer hunting, I may see plenty of deer to shoot, but sometimes I just watch them. Now, 30 years ago, no, they'd all be dead. You're stacking everyone. I I think when you're younger, you're more into... I think that's just conquest. A, a natural thing for us. yeah of a male to do that, and as you get older, it, it's it's not quite the that that part is is not, is not that important. You know, I, I I think every animal that I that I catch, yeah, because if not, it 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 turns into like picking corn or something. Right. It's not. It's it's not. Yeah. My um. I'm gonna get a little little wooey. My my friend my friend Philippe, um, who's been on this podcast, he does a podcast called Our Numinous Nature. It's a good listen. It's a little um it's a little woo wooey, little gets into the little uh spiritual realm a little too much and a little the uh supernatural realm a little more. But he's he's a really good guy and a phenomenal artist. Um and he he was like, Do you ever he's like you know, do you, do you ever like pray when you catch an animal or something like that? And I was like, yeah, sometimes, you know, it, it, it was a, it's a, it was a, it was a, it, it really took me off guard, the question, you know, mm-hmm. but I've, I've found just trying to have, you know, just trying to maintain that reverence because it's hard. It's really, it really mm-hmm. is hard. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, being, totally honest but when you have when you're when your job is to kill every last one of them it's very easily you know you can get an us against them mentality you forget the specialness of these creatures mm-hmm. and and how amazing their fur is and how amazing the meat is and how it, it's you know it, it, he said it he said it best you know he had a guy who told him you know, trapping trapping can be hard on the man's soul you know and i i i, I do feel that so it's it's really um, refreshing, I think, to, to hear that you know. Well, and, and you also you have those you have those thoughts too. It's not it's you know we we, we know I, we're I doing. I think everybody does, and when you when you get older and you talk to other older guys, it, it becomes more obvious, and it's not any different than someone that works. I had an uncle that owned a slaughter a slaughterhouse in Alabama, and. I'll never forget a story that he told me because he, you know, they, it was a private slaughterhouse and they were shooting them. This was back before he had all these hydraulic guns and all that stuff that they do now. And so they would pop them in the head with a 22. 
And he said, I've been doing that for years. And he said, something happened on this cow where my hand was on it when I shot it. And he goes, I had, I couldn't sleep for three or four days. He said it was so different. And he really started getting out of the business after that. You know, it's, it's, um, it's just, you know, if if you're, I think, I think it's, I think it's an important talk to have because, you know, and this might go even back to like the man strong thing. Like we as trappers are boots on the ground conservationists mm-hmm. you know we we know you know i i didn't grow up in this i wasn't indoctrinated into this i as an adult said i'm gonna be a trapper i wasn't i wasn't born a trapper but goddamn i'm sure gonna die a trapper mm. you know and we had to we had to you know many of us had to take these things and 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 figure out and the the semantics of them all and it is a complicated thing because i think I know, I know you do, and I know I do, and I know all the listeners here. You know, we love these animals, mm-hmm. and and we and we kill them, and that's that's a that's a complicated relationship. It's very you know? complicated. So it's just I, I I don't know. I really I I didn't mean to go off on that tangent there, but it just you know, you know, it's God bless them all. You know, God bless all these trappers and. You know, I'm I'm honored to be a part of that brotherhood and that sisterhood. You know what I'm saying? That's just, you know, I I had a you know, we're literally boots on the grounds conservationists. That's the most incredible thing, and not to not to slight anglers or hunters or anything like that, but we're the ones that are actually you know doing doing the things that we need to 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 make sure that wildlife is abundant and healthy in mm-hmm. America in perpetuity. So well, the, it's just really cool, man. It's, it's, it's really cool. Um, have you ever seen the original point break, the movie Keanu Reeves was, and Patrick Keanu Swayze? Reeves and, and, and Patrick Swayze. Where, my favorite scene where he fires a gun in the air. Okay. Well, the one I was, the scene I'm talking about explains what you were just trying to say to other trappers. He goes out with that girl at night, and he's not really good at surfing. And he finally gets up, and and if you've ever talked to someone that surfs a lot, it's it's almost like a spiritual thing to do. I've never surfed, but I can't say I have either. But Count Reeves gets up. It's only him and that girl he's with out there, and he's trying to describe what he feels. And she goes, "You don't have to. We all know it." Wow. And I think that's the, the the killing part of trapping. When you're talking to other trappers, I don't know how you describe Hemingway tried over several books to describe hunting, killing an animal that you love. But we all, mo- most guys, unless something's turned off in their brain, I think we we get it. That's really yeah. Well, let's lighten the mood a little bit. That's, that's well. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get off here, brother. My wife's. I think dinner's ready like 20 minutes ago. Oh, jeez. All right. Um. Well, let me ask. Can I give you one more? Sure. Oh, there's a bunch I want to ask you, but what do you think the best thing we can do as trappers to 
maintain our livelihoods, maintain our 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 heritage, our lifestyle. What what what's the best thing we can do? Take people with you. Yeah, outreach and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And when you do meet someone that's not sure about what we do, don't turn into a lawyer or aggressive, even though that's the nature of the country right now. Talk right. to them like a human being and just explain it in a way that they can probably understand without it being aggressive. Yeah, right. It's the people in the middle, and I've, I've said this before on this podcast and other places. There's trappers on one side, there's those animal rights extremists on the other side, but most people are in the middle. Mm-hmm. And if you take the time to talk with them and educate them, it really, it really does make a, make a difference. And, you know, the, now they, now they know a trapper. They know Clint or they know Pat or they know whoever, you know, mm-hmm. they have that. And it's actually, you know, they can put a face with, like, oh, Pat's, you know, Pat's not a cold blooded killer. You know, Clint's not a cold blooded killer, you know. Um, hey man, I'm, I'm so appreciative. This has been, this has been truly incredible. Um, you're, you're one of my, my idols in the industry. I look up to you a bunch and um, I'd really like to do this again sometime. I hope we could talk more, maybe talk about some different stuff. Okay. Um, I'll let you get off of dinner and, and head on your way. But dude, thank you so much. It, it really means the world to me. You're more than welcome, man. All right, brother. All right. Hey, tight chains. And I, I hope you, uh, you hammer some beaver. That's what you're getting after right now. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, you get after him and, uh, and, uh, yeah. You have a good rest of your night, all right? All right, man. All right. Peace, brother. See you. And finally, it is time for the Cots Bros message of the week. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Cots Bros' new and improved aluminum wire screen pan covers. They have them in number two and number three coil spring size. Aluminum wire doesn't rust, adds crucial kill area to the pan, and of course keeps dirt from under the pan. Be sure to crease the pan cover around the pan to prevent buckling. The the three fits all three coral spring traps. Uh, for dogless traps, you just cut a slit in one side to clear the pan notch. And the same thing with the twos. They'll fit a, a wide variety of different trap types. These are machine stamped, no sharp edges. All edges are folded for supreme rigidity and increased kill area. And they're packaged in a resealable bag. Check them out and check out all the specials on the Cotsbros website. That's K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S dot com. Thanks, Cotsbros, and thank you guys for listening in. Until next time, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping. We will catch you on the next episode.